stand again in a moment for the reading of God's Word. Anytime that a person doesn't really know who he is and what his heritage is and uh, actually what it has been in his life and so on, it's always been asked that you go back to the roots of your life or your experience, whatever you are. There is a program uh, that's on television a lot concerning the black people and called Roots, and it gives a lot of different areas in lives, but when we lose our way, when things are not happening as they should happen, then someplace, somewhere, along the line, we have become sidetracked. And uh, rather than just blunder on in the darkness and hopefully hoping that everything will just turn out all right, the best uh, thing that I know to do is try to get us back to the roots and where the thing started and see perhaps where we have missed the boat. I'm going to read to you, and I shouldn't have to read it to you. We can almost quote it. And it's talking in the second chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, but... The program of God has been right on schedule. Jesus had come at the appointed time, born in Bethlehem's manger of a virgin, according to a hundreds of year old prophecy. And it came to pass. And he came and he lived his life, subject always to the will of that which indwelt him. And every place he went, the Bible says, he was doing good. So you have to understand that just because you do good, it's no sign everybody's going to like you. <laughs> I mean, uh, Jesus' life will prove that to you. He never done anything wrong to anybody, and yet they despised him, they hated him, and eventually this brought crucifixion. Now, why did they? Simply because they had got off track and off target, and they were supposedly living uh, under the law, and yet it was a law of their own. And Jesus challenged them in their daily walk of life as being the church of the living God, a representative of the church of the living God, and he showed them the errors of their ways. And 33 years and a half, he lived. Three years and a half, he ministered under the inspiration of God. They saw miracles. His word was with power. His word was with authority. His word was true and right to a point, and his, love, his word was with love and compassion, and yet his love, love was with sternness. And this brought on the hatred of the Pharisaical church, who did not desire change, who did not want to understand what God's program was. And uh, he then was uh, to the place to where he would have to carry on in another direction. So they crucified him. Two thousand years ago, it's been said we just celebrated that, they crucified the Lord of glory. And uh, he didn't stay dead. He, like the Bible said, he was buried in a buried tomb. And he rose again on the third day. And he walked and talked among his disciples and those that were close for forty days and forty nights exhorting them and showing them that he was alive by many infallible proofs. Didn't name all of them, but showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. And time marched on and God's program marched on. 
And uh, finally it came time for him to ascend back into the heavens. And so he gathers his people together. He had told 500 at once that uh, they needed to go to Jerusalem and be endued with power from on high. And he told them just before he left that they should receive power, that they should go to Jerusalem and receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon them and they would be witnesses unto him, both in Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria. And in other words, this thing was to spread. It was to begin at home and it was to spread even to the uttermost parts of the earth. God's program was still on time. And when he spoke these words, uh, a cloud received him out of their sight. Gravity began to turn loose of him, and he began to slowly ascend into the heavens. No man had ever really done this before. And they stood amazed and looked steadfastly into heaven. The tenth verse of the first chapter says, And uh, while they was looking, uh, so important was the responsibility that God placed upon them that he wanted them to do more than stand and look where he had left them from and get on about the program, get on about the business of doing what they're supposed to do. Because everything that Jesus was and everything uh, that he had been was going to be given to the church that was not born yet. And so in order to get on with the program, instead of standing there looking at where he had left them, he sent some angels in white apparel and asked them why they were gazing into the heavens and said, in other words, this same Jesus you saw go, uh, go away is going to come again in like manner as you've seen him go away. That was the first promise. He was going to come again. And then they remembered the words. They returned to Jerusalem and went into an upper room, program of God still on schedule, but minus a few people. You notice it just kept getting less and less and less and less. He preached to the multitudes and they followed him and then eventually he was left with just a few and uh, then just a few more and then he preached to 500. Out of the 500, 120 still believed that God was God and that his program should go on. And the responsibility was theirs, and the words was left, go to Jerusalem. There you'll be endued with power from on high. Nothing else was said. They had the slightest idea what was going to happen. They just knew that God spoke and that it was their responsibility to be under submission to him and do what he told them to do, and so they went. They did some choice things there in the first uh, chapter of the book of Acts. And then in the second chapter, a real old familiar, and yet I have a feeling unfamiliar scriptures to a lot of us, simply because we feel as if we know everything that is going to be said in that scripture. But knowing it and believing it are two different things. The Bible says, while they were there in the upper room, the day of Pentecost, of course, we'll not go into what that was, was fully come and they were with one accord in one place and suddenly, just suddenly it happened. They had been there, nobody knows uh, exactly how they were praying other than they were working out their problems. 
getting rid of the uh, divisions and uh, succumbing to their idea, uh, away from their ideas and opinions and giving themselves in a place to where they could receive what God had in store for them and not question it, but just by faith believe that he promised us that if we went to Jerusalem, we would receive power from on high. And suddenly it came, a sound from heaven, rushing mighty wind, filled a house, peered into them cloven tongues like as of fire. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. And not only did they go in the upper room, but they came out of the upper room. They went in, uh, individuals that really didn't know for sure what was going to happen. They had been very weak and powerless in order to face up to the Roman people at that time, but they came out of the upper room with an experience that shook all of Rome and shook all of the world, and an experience that is still the same as it was then. If it shook the world then, it can still shake the world today. But we've got to recognize the need for that and understand that. I don't know that I want to preach only to you that might not have the Holy Ghost, but I would like to direct some things to we who have had the Holy Ghost a short time or even a long time and challenge us to the reality, back to the roots, back to what God wanted us to do. God's program is still to be completed. There's still a work for the church to do, still something for humanity to do as God indwells him. So when we look at that scripture, we find that something happened in the upper room that has puzzled Christendom and denominal churches ever since. It was described in uh, kind of a mythical language, cloven tongues like as a fire. Nobody knows exactly what that was or what happened or, uh, in other words, how the Spirit made its, its uh, first appearance and uh, set upon men. Nobody knows that, and it's described in a language like that. But something very real and something very concrete entered their lives on that day. 120 individuals, first fruits of Almighty God, where he poured out the Holy Spirit of God upon their lives, and it changed their lives. It was real to them. It was not a figment of their imagination. It was not something that was there today and gone tomorrow. It was concrete, and it came into their lives. I want to stop long enough to say this. When you really get inside of you the power of the Holy Ghost, it is not something that is just going to be here today and be gone tomorrow. And what we need is a real, genuine Healing and refilling of the power of God in our life. And we need that to be concrete in our lives, to let the world know that God is not a God that's here and gone and here and gone. He is a God that is real. In other words, this experience changed their lives. Now, I'm sorry to say that I have been in this for quite some time, and I have seen the Holy Ghost uh, manifest in different ways, but I look not necessarily for the speaking in tongues, which is the evidence of it, but I look for a life that has been changed and sealed and concrete and will not turn aside regardless of what happens. I look for that, God looks for that, and that's the roots 
of who we are today. That's exactly what brought it about. In that day, the church was born. Man became the temple of God. No longer needed the Jewish temple, although it continued to exist. Uh, Christ rent the veil and claimed from top to the bottom, exposed to hypocrisy there. But what used to house God, which was the Ark of the Covenant, now become a saint of God, and we house God tonight. Thank God. And we ought to be glad and rejoice because uh, we become the house of the living God. A church was born... And it was not born to die, saints. It was born to live. It was born to thrive. It was born to walk. It was born to change life. It was born with a witness and to bear witness of Almighty God. We did not receive that glorious power of the Holy Ghost only to run into our homes and settle there and never touch a life. We did not receive it only to speak in tongues, only to shout, only to dance, and we ought to do more of that than we do, but we received it to change our lives where we would have a witness to a world that is dying and needs the power of the Holy Ghost. Now then, the Spirit of Christ was released unto lives. Never happened before. Never been that way before. Something new. God's program was still intact. It was still moving on. The message of God become the power of God in the salvation to everyone that believes. Now I want you to notice something. When the power of God is demonstrated in a very personal way, reactions vary. Right, right. They do that because people are different. Now if you look at what happened even after a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, even after people who was timid went in and came out powerful, did not change the ideas and opinions of some. It didn't then, it won't now. But that doesn't matter as far as the Holy Ghost is concerned. It remains solvent and it remains real and it remains something to be demonstrated. But those that could be amazed were amazed. I mean, it takes a lot to amaze some people. <laughs> I mean, because uh, they just simply uh, don't believe a whole lot of things. And so those that were amazed was amazed and said, oh, are not all uh, these Galileans that speak in another language? They was amazed that they have the ability and power for they knew they were ignorant and unlearned men, knew they did not know their language. And so they were amazed at what was happening. Really didn't understand it all. But then you had the doubters there, and as always, they still doubt. They always wonder, and they doubt, and they question, and uh, you always have the mockers there, and you have the questioners there that says, I wonder what all of this means. I wonder what's happening here. I wonder, uh, you know, this is a strange thing that is happening here. We've never saw it on this wise before. We watch those individuals. We hear them speak in a funny language we don't understand. But it was more than that. I said it was more than that. They saw something definite and concrete in those lives. They were changed. Changed lives. Lives that have changed their personality. Lives that have changed their attitude. Lives with courage now. And they came out and they saw this. And they was wondering, what's going on here anyway? I wonder what means this. And of course, Peter gave the answer. And, and Joel said, this is that. Come on. 
that was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Now, if this is that, what is this? You know, is that an answer? Yes, it is. This is that that was spoken of by the prophet Joel in the last days. In other words, Joel looked forward to that time, didn't have the privilege that you and I have, but he looked forward to that time and said, this is going to happen. And Peter says, it has happened. It's not going to, it has happened. And it ought to be happening in our world today. And then the scornful were just plain scornful. It takes a lot to get into the heart of some people. You know that? I mean, it takes a lot. And uh, they just said, oh, said, I know the answer to this. These men are drunk. <laughs> Nobody would act like this. They've got to be rowing with one oar. Or they've got to be a little bit off. Something has to be wrong with them. And the only thing I know would make people do this would be to drink. And then Peter answered that and said, No, they're not. It's just the third hour of the day. And uh, they're not drunk as you suppose. In other words, they did have an intox intoxicating effect upon them. But it was not liquor that done it. It was the power of the Holy Spirit of Almighty God that done the job. And uh, it's still on tap. God's program is still going on. And as I read those things, I asked myself a question, and I'm going to ask you, how would you have reacted had you been there that day? What would have been your reaction? Isn't it strange that we get so easily annoyed sometimes with people who get so excited about their faith and about their experience on the day of Pentecost? But it was the very thing that characterized uh, the Christians of that day. It was the very thing that brought into existence the church of the living God. There was something strange about those individuals and about their walk of life. And uh, they recognized they had a hold of something that was real. What to do with what we've got? There's a lesson in that. They came out of the upper room. They demonstrated something that happened to their life. Now then there's two choices. They can go home, like many of us do, and forget uh, about the experience. Join the fact that it is, is an experience. And go home and forget about it. Or they could be a witness to the world that was around them. And a world that was surrounding them at that time. And witness to them the vital change in their life. And I believe in their countenance. Now, we have the same privilege today. It was this, uh, their tremendous fervor, their, their fire, their, their love and passionate convictions that they had in their uh, heart that convinced and transcended a message that got into the lives of people. It leaped over the barriers and, uh, and, and the uh, denominational barriers at that time. And it got into a life of people that really wanted God. They were resolute in their commitments. Somebody say amen. Resolute in their commitments. The Bible says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, when it means sacrifice your body, it means do what your body don't want to do. Amen. Now, I'm going to ask a question without answering that. How many of us has placed our body on the altar and said, God, here it is. 
It is of no value to me. I have lived my life the way I wanted to live it. It has done no good to me or anybody else. Now, God, here is my body on the altar, a living sacrifice. Do something with it. And listen, don't ever challenge God if you don't want Him to answer you. I know from experience, don't ever lay your body down and say, God, here it is, unless you're sure that you want Him to use it because He'll show you right off that His ways are not your ways. That the things He does is not what you would do, but yet you've laid it there and you become resolute. You've made a commitment. I wonder sometimes, back to the roots, back to where you begin. Back to when you first received the Holy Ghost. Back when you first came to God. What about commitments that you made to Him? What about things that you said that you was going to give God? Have you been resolute in them? Have you done your death level best to keep them? Or have you looked at God and said, He's a kind, merciful, heavenly Father, and He'll just allow me to do this, that, or something else? Wrong, friend. Wrong. He won't. And you'll have to pay. We all do when we walk aside from God. But their commitments was resolute. They had made a commitment to God. They had made it in the upper room. They had went there, uh, carried ten days, and came out on fire for God. They were unusually fearless. I have a problem sometimes with Holy Ghost people that says, I'm afraid to do this, and I'm afraid to do that, and I'm afraid to do something else, makes me aware that we have not fully realized or utilized what dwells in us. There is no fear in God. And there is no fear in a Holy Ghost filled life. That is, if we're really committed to that, and they never hesitated to share Christ in any way. Whatever direction, where it was at, Peter started it, and it just mushroomed. It just gathered like a snowball as it as the fire began to burn, and as the work began to go on. The Bible says three thousand souls saved, five thousand souls saved, healings, demons cast out. Everything happened because the church was holy, on fire for God, placed out in the upper room, ready to do what God asked them to do, committed to Him. And to Him alone, nothing else mattered but God. And they followed after Almighty God. And when they spoke, people listened. I wondered about that. But it was not necessarily just their speech. It was their life. It was the way they lived. It was their attitude. It was the difference between when they went in and when they came out. I have to ask this tonight. Is there a difference in our lives, the way it's lived, commitments made to God from the time we went into our upper room and when we came out? Because there has to be a difference. I'm going to say that again. There has to be a difference. If there's not a difference, something is terribly wrong. Maybe sometimes, a lot of people I know they do, claim something they never got. I've been around when they mumble something and somebody shouted in their ear, uh, that's it, that is, you got it. And taking somebody else's word for it is no good. Friend, if you get it, you won't need nobody to tell you you got it. It'll be all over you, and you will know without a shadow of a doubt. It's inside of you. 
But I've seen people fooled. I've seen people who ex expected power that never received it. And then I saw people that have received it that have never done one thing with it. Now then, question. What is it? And what set this eternal fire of their spirit? And what set the glow for Christ? And what kept it there? You see, when you look at these things, these individuals was not a, just a flash in the fire. This thing came and it stayed. It burned and it burned and it burned. And if we can find out if we can go back to the roots of where this thing happened and find out what kept the eternal fire of God going. You saw on, on Kennedy's grave the eternal flame. Well, that is natural. That church has an eternal flame that burns and burns and burns. If it won't burn through us, God will find somebody else to let it burn through. It will burn. The Holy Ghost will burn. It will shout out what it is. So if we need an answer, then we ought to find out what is the difference between them and us. I've been, again, in this thing not as long as some, but longer than most. I found out that we have become, over the years, Proud, stiff-necked, hard-hearted, not subject to what God wants, and sometimes not even caring what He wants. Because after all, we've been born again, so what difference does that make? But sometimes we're too cautious about seeking this experience and Sometimes we're too cautious about allowing it to work in us when it does come. I'm not going to say there wasn't a lot of flesh involved in the early days of Pentecost, and I saw a lot of it. But friend, in spite of what went on then, I did see hungry people receive the Holy Ghost. I did see them unashamed, basking in the sunlight of God's beauty. I did see them raise their hands and honor and glorify God and speak in another tongue. I did see altars filled with saints of God crying for the power of God. I did see miracles. I did see healings. I did see devils cast out. Because people were not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I did see lives changed. And as pretty as we want to perform tonight, I'd give anything in this world to see somebody somewhere unashamed just be able to loose themselves in the presence of God and let God be God. Some churches, you can't tell much difference, and we want to get on the Baptist, Methodist, denominational churches. You can't tell much difference between us sometimes and them. We come in silent, we stay silent. We may uh, raise our hands, we may praise God, but it hardly goes any farther than that. And you don't need to tell me that during a worship service, something doesn't grab somebody. Something doesn't get on the inside of somebody. Something doesn't tell somebody to do something. Come on. 
It's not all for the preacher to do. I've heard people say we had such a good service, preacher didn't even get to preach. You ought to have a few of them. But I will warn you of this. In here, there's always going to be time for the Word of God. Let's don't ever get too far gone, but what we can at least have some time for the Word of God. Just shout all you want to. Come in and rejoice all you want to. Speak in tongues till 11 or 12 o'clock. But know this, that when you're done, then I begin if it waits till 1 o'clock. Because the Word of God is extremely important. And if we have to wait till midnight to get on the floor, I can wait. Well, I'm sure I won't have to have that privilege. Praise the Lord. They used to do that. I can remember, and there again, that's, that's going back. That's not saying for the good old days. That's going back to the roots of the thing. That's getting back to where the Holy Ghost meant something. To where people would do almost anything to receive it. They didn't care what people think. They didn't care what people say. They never was concerned about anybody else. It was them and God and what they needed, and they was willing to do it. I was willing to do it. You was willing to do it. And I said often I didn't want to eat. And friend, listen, that's something for me. Take my appetite away from me. And uh, I mean, you've God's done something to me. God ought to take some of our appetites away from us. Couldn't eat, couldn't sleep. Uh, didn't want to do anything hardly. Just wanted God. And every chance I got, I sought Him. In the oil field, in cornfields, under trees, wherever that I had the privilege and chance, I didn't let one minute, one time, I wanted Him bad enough because I knew that there needed to be a change in my life. I knew myself good enough and well enough to know that there was no way that I could exist. I had no platform. I had nothing concrete under my feet. Although I knew God, I knew that without something inside of me, I just could not make it. And you need to recognize the same thing in your life. And it must be turning over and over and over even after you have received it. There needs to be a fire lit inside of us that would shake us. And make us realize there needs to be a spark that will set the field on fire. But we're too cautious about this. Here people say, well, let's just don't go off on deep end. Yeah. I've watched people refilled with the Holy Ghost. Yeah. I've watched them refilled again with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I've watched that eternal flame as it burned yeah. in our life. Amen. Amen. And I've watched this sometimes as we become a little bit lifeless. You see, Jesus calls us to launch out into the deep. We need not only to be born of the Spirit, and we do need that, but we need to be filled over and over and over and over again. The apostles, 120 in the church, had to be filled and refilled again and again, baptized with the Holy Ghost, but filled with the Holy Ghost whenever time and effort demanded that. Amen. After they were cast into prison, came back again. The Bible says the place was shaken. They realized that they needed that same experience to bubble up from again and establish them one more time because they'd been cruelly treated. And they needed an experience that would just move in their spirit. We're missing out on this blood-bought inheritance 
of being filled with the Spirit over and over again. We can thank God. I don't want to leave this out. We can thank God for bringing us out of Egypt. That's what He does when He, in a sense, when we repent. And He saves us. He, he brings us out of Egypt. He brings us through the water, which is baptism. But oftentimes, we never run toward the promised land of spiritual fulfillments. And I have found in our church today, even more so, that we don't realize that God's program doesn't account for us to be smug and, smug and self-satisfied in our experience. It calls for a genuine move of God in our lives time after time after time. A refilling of the Holy Ghost. And sometimes even after we enter into spiritual fulfillments, we stand at the entrance of the promised land and don't realize that there's battles to be fought and we evade fighting the battle. You cannot conquer Jericho by sitting on the edge of your promises. You cannot take the cities for God by sitting on the edge of your promises. You cannot, friend, accomplish what God has said is yours by just saying it's a promise. There has to be some action on our part. We have to believe in ourselves. We have to believe that God has chosen us and we are chosen vessels and that He has endured to do this with His power and it is to do something for Him. And we've got to believe that. Most of the time we get down on ourselves. And I tell you what, Pardon me for my expression. I get so tired of whiny Christians. That simply, you belittle God. Could I be brazen enough to say you belittle God? Because you say, I can't do this, and I can't do that. That's saying God can't do anything through you. And God has said time and time again, and Paul said it, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In yourself you cannot, but with the indwelling Spirit of God, you can do those things. And the world dies and it's wanting because of the uh, cooling off and lifelessness of Christianity, Holy Ghost filled people. We sit hard sometimes for us to ever be moved. I don't know anymore. I've asked God, God, what would it take? To move so and so. If you'll tell me, I'll do it. If it would, if they would move, if I stand on the head and I've never done it in my life, I, I'd stand on the head. If it would help if I would do this or that or something else, I, I would do that. But God, what does it take to set our souls on fire and make us realize that we're still in a battle? And we're still uh, answerable to God. And that the Holy Ghost is still a reality. It's as real as it was 2,000 years ago. And can do the same things that it did then. It just needs a vessel. And it'll come through. Hands that be used. Feet that will walk. And a mouth that will speak. And a heart that believes. Inside. Oh, God, what can I do? Don't ask me. Ask God. I don't know what you're supposed to do. I know what I'm supposed to do. I do my dead level best to do that. Sometimes it's not pleasing to life. And sometimes it's not pleasing to me. 
fact that most of the time what I do is not pleasing to me. Amen? Is that strange? But it's not. It's not really what I want to do. There's a lot of things I'd rather do than to be standing here preaching to you. Does that make sense? But there is, as far as human flesh is concerned. But there's nothing I'd rather do, spiritually speaking, than to get a hold of the Word of God, agonize with Him, and ask His anointing to preach to anything, even if it's rocks. When I was first beginning to preach, I preached that steering wheel. I mean, that thing should have had the Holy Ghost and should have been converted because I preached some of my best messages to that steering wheel in the church or in the, in the truck. And then I went out and I preached the trees. I preached the cows. I preached the horses when I was plowing corn. Some of them got, I got more response out of them. Some of them I do you. Come on, come on. The cow would go moo once in a while. A horse of twenty. <laughs> and some of you don't say nothing. <laughs> All right. I noticed on the back side of a newspaper one time, and it said, Is this where you are putting God in your life? And I just wrote that down. That don't cost you anything. Is this where you're putting God in your life? Now I know most of us real quickly will say, No, sir. But if we would check our lives and I mean really check them and really get down to business we'd find and God spoke this just as plain to me when he said the, we, I am not number one in their lives and I've saw this proven time and time again where if we have anything that we have made plans to do we will do it God don't you get in my way did I hit somebody? Because I've got this already worked out. Now, do you want to know why so many Christians seem so lifeless? Do you want to know why there's such a gulf between early Christians and us today? You heard this morning, God's still God. God hasn't changed. Guess who changed? I mean, it's not God. Same God that filled and set the church in motion and filled it with His power is still the same God. The same one that walked through Peter and Paul and all the rest of them and did the things that they did is still the same God. The same God that moved and walked to the church, the early church, and caused it to do what it did. Turned the world upside down. Sent revival into England and Scotland. And sent revival in the 1900s to the United States of America. And God walked the shores of this continent time and time again. The Holy Ghost moved and motivated life because it had a vessel. And it wasn't just in there. It was in and out and in and out. It came, healed us. It flowed out of us, healed us again, flowed out of us. Hallelujah. God is asking the same thing. Somebody said, well, I, I wish God would use me. When you do what He told you to do, then He'll use you for something else. That's right. That's right. Now then, am I doing all right? You're doing fine. Let's check the lives of these early Christians. Now, when you look after the death of Jesus, 
you see that those that had followed him was running scared. They had lost everything. Their religious profession had become a social embarrassment to them. Society had judged their Messiah to be a criminal. And there was no assurance that they themselves would not be judged and put to death. And so because there was nothing left in this world out here for them. Nothing left for them. Let that soak in. Nothing in this world left for them. They went according to God and huddled in an upper room. And there they were driven in on their knees out of desperation. They needed something. They had trusted the Lord. They had followed their master. They had knew that he was the Messiah. And yet he was crucified. They had no other alternative. In other words, their social life had been destroyed. They had been marked individuals. Those that did not go to the upper room soon found out that they were not acceptable in their hometown anymore. Because they had made their choice with Jesus. And they knew also that they could not rely on self. They knew better than to grasp uh, at human resources or lean on their own strength and on their own understanding. And so with a promise that God tells them, if you go to the upper room, if you'll just go there and tarry, I'm going to give you power to be witnesses. In other words, that's the only promise they have. Now, friend, listen, when you get sick and tired of this world, when it, it, it is nothing to you, when it has taken everything away from you and have given you nothing, then you turn to God and realize His power is still the same. You need Him worse than anything else, and your own life is worth nothing without Him. Let Him reduce us to that. And so they went to the only place that ever gave them a promise. I can shout now. The only thing that ever promised them anything was Jesus Christ. And He told them where to go to receive it. And they were so sin sick, soul sick, sick of the world and sick of society that they went. Not exactly knowing what was going to happen, but they went. And they stayed there. They didn't just say, well, I've been here a day and ain't nothing happened. Let's be careful when we come here for a prayer if nothing changes tomorrow. All right? If things get worse, don't be, don't be astonished when things get worse. Don't be astonished if you begin to undergo satanic attacks, which a lot of you have and some of you will. Don't be astonished at that. Because that's the trial. I've been here two days, three days, four days. I think I'll go home. He didn't tell us how long to stay here. He didn't give us any definite thing to do. He just told us to go and, and he didn't do us with power. And we've been here three or four days and he hadn't done a thing. Haven't even heard from him. Don't know what's going on. 
guess I'll just go home. Now, there was nothing at home. The world had took everything away from them, didn't have anything. Society had branded them and marked them and didn't want them. All the devil will make you think the world wants you, but once you're identified with Jesus, he don't want anything to do with you. That's true. That's really true. Some of us learn our lesson the hard way. They become more conscious of his resurrection and what it meant to them. And they considered as they were there and recall the words of Jesus. Now I want you to notice here, it was not the miracles they considered. It was not the things that Jesus did that they considered. It was what he said that they considered. That's what they were considering in the upper room was what he said. He said, he promised, he told me, and they held fast to that. And they finally, with great desire and anticipation, waited for the only thing that could make them men and women again. And God's program was still on time. It, it came. This become that. <laughs> Hallelujah. And it came within moments. Ignorant men become knowledgeable and articulate. Cowards become fearless. The gospel was preached with heart-gripping fear. Something happened, not fantasized or imagined, but real in their lives. Not only born, but over and over and over again refilled. They discovered a cure for their lifeless Christianity. They knew that one time, one dose was not going to do the job. And many of us need a return to the upper room. We need it every day. We need a refilling of the Holy Ghost. How long has it been since some of you have ever spoken tongues since the initial evidence of it all? How long has it been since you got in a place of God and He just overshadowed you until you simply didn't want anything but Him in your life? Over and over and over again, He motivated you and, and challenged your life until you came out of your prayer closet on fire again for God willing to do what He wanted you to do, set on fire by the Holy Ghost of God. How long has it been since we've allowed God that privilege in our lives? One time is not enough, saints. One time is not enough. Somebody has said often we leak. And not only do we leak, but if we're giving out, we need to take in again. If we give out, we have to take in. And sometimes you do give out. You give out in intercessory prayer. You give out in praying for individuals. You wonder why things don't change. And you give out and you give out. And if you don't get a refilling, if you don't get a refreshing, you become uh, lifeless. You sit sometimes wondering if you even really believe in God or not. And it'll take it out of you. And once it comes out, it's got to come in again over and over and over. If they had to have it in early days, we still have to have it. The important thing is not that the Spirit has come and give us power to do miracles, and we need them. But long before Pentecost, 
the disciples had done this. Yes, they did. Read your Bible. But they still lack power for holy living. Yes, miracles was there. They did the miracles. But they argued who was going to be the greatest. Even after they had done these miracles. They wanted to call fire down from heaven and burn somebody up that didn't agree with them. I've done that a lot. I've said, but God, just burn them up. You know, hey, let's get them out of here. That God is more long-suffering than we are. And finally, they forsook Jesus. So what I'm saying is we need to get really past the goosebump experience and really receive the power of a holy character in our life. Never underestimate the power of a holy character or a holy church. It's not what we profess. It's what we possess that changes people. Or what possesses us. Billy Sunday was quite a minister. You ought to read after him sometimes. Very unorthodox. Said what he felt and felt what he said. <laughs> Wasn't a very good PR man. Didn't know how to approach people intellectually and soothe their... Uh, they just always ruffled their feathers made them mad enough to want to change and he happened to have received a great offering and walked into the bank and this man had just said before he got there Wallace Bird well just saying that man there that preacher there is taking people for their money everything else and I've got no time for Christianity and uh, Billy Sunday didn't hear him say this walked into the bank and there they was foreclosing on Wallace Bird's property and they was going to take his home going to take everything that he worked years for Billy Sunday stood there and listened and listened to what it was going to take to be able for him to keep his property fifteen hundred dollars Billy Sunday reached in his offering that he'd got that night, which had been a, had been a tremendous offering, and he found $1,501. And he walked up and said, Give this man his deed. And this man looked at him and said, I know who you are. You're that preacher. Why are you doing this? Billy Sunday said, because Christianity demanded it. And after that, this man came to know the Lord. And he said, I never heard Billy Sunday preach from the pulpit. His only sermon to me was his love offering. But it was enough to portray Christ to me in a way that I have never seen him. Character is what a man is when the crowd is not watching. Right. When they were born to the Holy Spirit, they got Christ. When they were filled, Christ got them. Back to the basis of what made a church. Now you answer me truthfully, am I committed 
to giving the church what God has given me. Now listen, contrary to popular opinion, God did not call you to warm a church pew. He didn't give us all the same job, but he did give you a job. And you are to become part of that action in the assembly of God. Part of what happens in a church service is on your shoulders. And as long as revival fires don't burn in us, revival will never come to community chapel. But when the Holy Ghost begins to burn in us and we don't care what it takes out of our lives to see a soul saved, revival will come suddenly. I want us to stand. We need God. We need a move of God. We can have a move of God. But I'm going to confess to you, I can't bring it. And I can bring the most high-powered evangelist in here that the world ever seen, and he can't bring it either. That's true. He might stir up spirits a little bit. He might tell a few jokes. He might wax intellectual. But as far as revival coming, he can't bring it. The greatest revivals we ever had was when the church decided it wanted to see souls saved. And we had revival on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday nights. We didn't have to call special meetings. Revival was there because people was willing. And people was challenged and people cared. And people prayed and people lived. And people walked in the unity of the Holy Spirit. I want you to come.